0: Talk to you this morning about prioritizing, and it's not easy, is it? We all we all have things. How many have things that you would like to prioritize? You'd like to to raise them up the bar, you know, list, put them higher on your list. But somehow or another, they seem to always get pushed down. It's so easy when when uh, it comes to the things of God, because there are things in our life that seem urgent. Anybody ever have an urgent issue come up? You're in the middle of, of uh, reading your Bible or something and the dog's got to go out. <laughs> or somebody calls you on the telephone. Or a spider comes down the window or whatever. Anything to get your attention to draw you away from what you're doing because what you're doing is important. It's a priority. And yet there's something of the urgent that comes along that has a tendency to pull us away from those things. And the enemy will fill us full of activities and things that will keep us off of our responsibilities, our spiritual responsibilities and duties and our priorities. I got an acronym for you that uh, you, you may have heard, may have not heard, but the, the acronym is for busy, busy. You know what busy stands for, don't you? It's an acronym for being under Satan's yoke. You know, the enemy doesn't mind us being busy in the kingdom of God if our busyness is not really being productive for the kingdom of God. But Jesus said this in uh, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You know what mammon is, don't you? Uh, money. Yeah, it's, it's not the big hairy uh, behemoth that, you know, that was a mammoth, wasn't it? No, it's mammon. It's money. For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life, to what you shall eat or drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body, more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, neither do they reap, neither do they gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil. Nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so will raise the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will He not much, so much more, do also for you, O men of little faith? Do not be anxious then, saying, "What shall we eat?" or "What shall we with what shall we clothe ourselves?" For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek for. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But verse thirty-three, read it with me. But seek His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Notice I left out a word. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all of these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I told you before that, you know, we, we should not worry about tomorrow because today is the tomorrow we worried about yesterday. And think about that for a minute. Let it sink in. Today's the tomorrow we worried about yesterday. Now, the day before that, you know, we were worried about yesterday. Yesterday came and went, and here we are today. And sometimes we get worried about stuff and we, we, we have these thoughts and, and we concern ourselves with all of these things. But Jesus said, if you seek first the kingdom, it takes the tension and the anxiety off of tomorrow because we know that God's got it. He's got this and he's, he's got it under control if we seek first the kingdom, if we prioritize the things of the kingdom. What are things of the kingdom? think about those things when we go about our daily life what are the things that pertain to the kingdom of God is it getting up going to work not really but that's our priority most all of us when we get up in the morning the first thing on our mind is getting out the door getting to our job site on time to get started because that's important if we don't get there on time if we are late enough what's going to happen Somebody else will be doing our job. So it is a priority. But is is it the first priority? The first priority then should be what? Seek first the kingdom, which involves prayer. Prayer, talking to God. Even if it's just for a moment, talk to Him. Get our instructions. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 16 and 3, Commit your plans to the Lord and he will cause them to succeed. We'll have so much more success in our lives and our daily lives if we will commit our activities to the Lord and prioritize. First priority is God first. God first. I've heard people say this, I love God first and I love my family second. But in reality, so many of us love our family first and we love God second. Because we do everything in the world for our family, but we do so little for God. You know, we, we kind of, we have God, and, and we know he's a part of our life, but, but we kind of put God over here, you know, and he kind of goes alongside us in our life, but he's not first, and he's not foremost. Our activities and our fruit tell us that. How do you judge a tree? By its fruit. And what is the fruit of that tree? It's, it's the thing that it produces. So, you know, you can tell an apple tree because it's got what on it? Apples. If you've got an apple tree and it never produces apples, then you call that what? A fruitless tree. And what do you do with it? It's no value. You just cut it down and burn it. That's all it's good for. If it's not producing what it, is, what it was designed for. God has created each one of us to be fruitful. He desires that we become fruitful and the only way that we can is to be firmly planted in the things of God and to seek first the kingdom of God and when we do it's going to produce the fruit of the kingdom in our lives people you won't have to tell people that you're a Christian they'll know it they'll they'll observe your fruit and say that goes a Christian that guy you know he's been with Jesus he knows God I can tell just by his countenance just by the things that he does, the way he treats his family, the way he treats his wife, the way he treats others, the way he respects people, the way he prays, the way that, that he, he observes the things of God and is obedient to the things of God. Jesus, being in the form of the man and having the passions of the man the capabilities of being tempted, knew how easy it was to be, become engrossed in the human struggle. Now, most of us have the desire to have the best, to dress the best, and have the best food, to have the best for our families. But it's so easy to become obsessed with providing these things that we forget that the most important thing is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Of course, kingdom principles don't usually work like the principles of this world because the world says if you want to achieve greatness, you've got to outwork everybody else, you've got to jockey for position, and you want to be at the top so you can be an authority in order to achieve the most for yourselves and make your mark in the world. That's just the way it is in this world, isn't it? Kind of a dog-eat world. Dog-eat-dog dog world. You know, everybody, Everybody's after dog-eat world, yeah. But the principles of the kingdom of God says that if we want to be great, then we have to become what? The least. The greatest among you is the least. He's the one that doesn't think of himself as as someone being of great importance. They realize that their value isn't in themselves. Their value is in Christ in them. I saw Dayron shirt this morning. Dayron, would you come up here just a second? I, I want you to reveal this beautiful shirt you have got on here. I want you to show it. Yeah, I, I want uh, open that up. Now, now, those of you that know Dayron, does he need this shirt for you to know that Christ lives in him? <laughs> I mean, it's nice that he's got it as a statement, and I realize that. But, De'Ron, you've made a greater statement by the way that you live your life. You know? I see Christ in you. you don't, I mean, that's a beautiful shirt, and I love it. <laughs> but you have so much more. That smile, that billion-dollar smile you've got, <laughs> just the love you show people, just the way you live in holiness and you conduct your life. You shine, man. You're radiant. And it's, and it's not just the, the, the shiny forehead either. It's, it's, it's Christ in you, man. You're awesome. Yeah, man. Thank you. Amen. Yeah. Jesus said, you know, Jesus had, had, his, had his disciples, and, and a couple of them, you know, they, they were brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And, and they talked to their mama. You know, it's always good when you got mom in your corner. Mom will go and intercede for you. So their mother went to Jesus one day, and and she says, you know, she says, I've got a favor to ask of you. And he says, what is that? She said, when you come into your kingdom, would it be too much to ask you that one of my sons could sit on one side and one of my sons could sit on the other side of you in your kingdom? And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking he said that's really that's not for me to give that's for my father he's already predetermined who those seats are reserved for and he said but i got another question for you are you able to drink of the cup of bitterness that i'm going to be drinking of?" because jesus knew down the road what was coming you know he he knew that in just a few days that that he was going to be crucified and he knew the bitterness of it he knew the bitterness of the struggle and he was asking them are you going to be able to to do this and they said absolutely absolutely you know, they, they, they kind of failed on the front end, but they came through on the backside. You know, when Jesus was being arrested, what did his disciples do? They ran like chickens. You know, and a chicken actually told on Peter. That's why, that's why preachers like chicken today. <laughs> They're trying to get even. When that chicken told on Peter and, and, and crowed, you know, Jesus said to Peter, you know, Peter says, he said, everybody else, they run and they deny you. He said, I never will. Jesus said, Peter said, before the rooster crows three times, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And sure enough, before the rooster crowed, you know, he, the roosters crow pretty early in the morning. If you've ever been to Mexico, yeah, they got alarm clocks down there with feathers on them. And they, they usually crow right before the sun peaks up. I mean, it just really upsets you because you can't turn them off. I mean, those things do not have a snooze alarm on them. They, they, they do their thing and they're loud. But this rooster, you know, that Peter, Peter, you know, he's, he's, he's standing around the fire warming his hands, you know, trying to be inconspicuous. And, and a little servant girl comes up, looks at him, says, didn't I see you with him? Peter says, no, it wasn't me. It must have been somebody else, case of mistaken identity. A little bit later, someone else comes up and says, says you know, the way you talk, your speech gives you away. You, you sound like the guy that they arrested. you want it? No, it wasn't me, I guarantee you. And a little bit later, somebody else comes up, and they, they finger him and say, were you one of those? No, it wasn't me, and he curses. And just as he curses, you know, the, the rooster crows. He forgot his priorities. And it's easy for us to do it. Our human nature causes us to do those things. I'm reminded of a story out of, out of Luke chapter 9. And uh, there was a man, you know, that, that, that fell in behind Jesus one day. Jesus had, had, had been out doing ministry and stuff. And this man comes up to him. And as he's walking along, going to his next ministry assignment, I guess, this man comes up to him and he says, he says, I want to be one of your disciples. I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, well, let me tell you something. he said, foxes, they have holes. And birds, they have places to nest. But the Son of Man, he doesn't even have a place to lay his head. In other words, I can't promise you anything. And then Jesus said, you know, a little bit later, another man comes up to him and says, I want to be one of your disciples. And Jesus said, okay, follow me then. And the guy says, well, first, let me go and bury my father. Well, the truth be known, his father wasn't dead yet, but this guy was waiting on his inheritance. He didn't want to do nothing until he got that. You know, he knew that if he got his father's inheritance, he could bankroll his ministry, I guess. I don't know. But, you know, first he wanted to go do that. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. You come follow me. Make it, you know, this has got to be your priority now. I don't have time to wait around on you. Another one comes to him and says, says Master, I'll, I'll follow you wherever you go. I want to be one of your disciples. And he says, he said well, come on. Leave everything you got. Come follow me. He said, well, first of all, I got, I've got to go marry my wife. I'm going to get married first. He says, you know, what, what do I have to do with you? You know, another one comes up to him, and he says the same thing. I want to follow you. And Jesus said, well, well come on. He said, well, well, first of all, he said, I bought a piece of property, and i got to go look at it. Now, how stupid is that? You bought a piece of property. Now you want to go look at it. And what kind of deal is that? You know, he must have bought, a, bought some beach property in Arizona or something. You know, you think, you go look at the property first before you buy it. But what it was, was excuses. And we all make excuses for not prioritizing our lives. You know, we all say, well, if I had the time, I would do this. I want to ask you something. Nathaniel, how much time do you have in a day? 24 hours. How how, how about you, Ronnie? How many... 24 hours how about you Lydia 24 hours we all got the same amount of time you got how many hours you got four hours (laughs) 24 hours we all have exactly the same amount of time and God gives us the ability to determine what we're going to do with that time But how do we prioritize our time? You know, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, to make the most of every opportunity knowing that the days are evil. You know, we we got to make the most of our time because each second is ticking away. I've been talking for about, what, five minutes, ten minutes now? And that's ten minutes that we can't reclaim. So I have to prioritize my time and what, the, whatever I say to you, I have to, have to, that's why I make a list. That's why I write things down so that I don't just get off into this and get off into that. And so that you can I can most effectively give you a message because it's a priority. I want you to be able to take something home with you. So we have to prioritize our time. We have to use it wisely. We're going to give an account for it for every second, every moment that we spend. So, Jesus said this to James and John. He said to them, he says, uh, when, they, when he asked them if you could drink the cup of sorrow I'm about to drink, and they says we are able. He said, you will indeed drink from it. He told them, but I have no right to say who will sit on the throne next to mine. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. And why were they angry? Because they wanted the same thing. They wanted the same thing. You know, the Bible says in James chapter 3, verse 13, that where there's there's envy and strife, there's all manner of evil. You know, when we have that envy and, we, and jealousy, there's all manner of evil. And so you could see that, that they were upset because they had asked, The question they wanted to ask it themselves, but they got to it first. And then Jesus called them all together and he says, You know, that in this world, kings are tyrants and officials lorded over people beneath them, but among you, it should be quite different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Wow, and whoever wants to be the first. Among you must become your slave. For even I, the Son of Man, came here not to be served but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. So many people want to lead without first learning how it is to serve. You know, we, we have a, a philosophy of leadership here at D.C., at, at Destiny City. That if you're going to be in leadership, you're going to be first a servant. You serve your way into leadership. Nobody is in leadership until they first learn to serve. Pastor Jeremy has a, has a philosophy with the worship team. If you're going to be part of the worship team, you're going to come and help set up. And you're going to stick around and help tear down too. Because it's a team effort. And it's a part of serving one another. You know, there are a lot of people that can, can sing beautifully and can play beautifully and everything. But if they're unwilling to, do, to take that part of the team, then they can't serve on the worship team. Does that make sense? Because God has called us to serve. He's called us to serve first. And the principle is, you know, we're, we're not interested in your qualifications, but we are interested in your faithfulness and your willingness to serve others. But if we are unfaithful, if we're unwilling to serve, that automatically disqualifies us for leadership. Giftedness and ability are secondary to attitude and faithfulness. And the first qualification for leadership is to be willing to serve. You know, if it was good enough for Jesus, then it's good enough for me. He came to seek and to save. He came to serve others. Jesus exemplified that by getting down and washing his disciples' feet. You know, they, they didn't want him to, you know, because he was their rabbi. He was their leader. They didn't think it was—they thought it was way beneath him to get down and to wash their feet. But Jesus said, if you don't allow me to do this, then you have no part of me. Of course, Peter responded like most of us would. Well, if you're going to wash my feet, give me a bath. He said you don't need a bath because you're clean already. But it was the principle that he was trying to teach. Now— uh, <laughs> Another area of leadership and qualification that we have is in the area of relationships, having proper relationships with others. I have, I've been in ministry for a long time, and I've always enjoyed anthropology. You know what anthropology is? That's the study of humans. I like to study people, just watch and observe people. And you know, sometimes my wife uh, she loves to shop. My idea of shopping is to know what I want, know where it's at, go get it, pay for it, get out. And it's just, it's, it's man. We were talking about that earlier. You know, Brian said he went with, with uh, Brittany shopping yesterday, and, you know, he was done in 10 minutes. Seven hours later, she's still doing. <laughs> but it's, it's, the, it's the difference between men and women. We're, we're geared differently, you know. But... That's, that's my idea of shopping, and, 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 and I, I, love to, I love to go to the mall, though, and, and while my wife is shopping, I like to sit and watch people, just observe. People are just very interesting. And you see all kinds of people. You see people with all kinds of haircuts, all kinds of clothes. Some got more than they need. Some need a lot more. Some don't know how to wear their clothes. You know? Some folks need a belt. If you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but you know, one one thing that's that has really bugged me in the church is is this one thing. You know, a lot of times we have tools that we use to help people. Some of those tools are are, are video series and things like that. We we've, we've used in the church, and, and you know, like uh, the bait of Satan and. And uh, some of the other stuff that we've used by Neil Anderson and stuff like that. uh, Victory over the darkness and things like that. And and I've I've, I've, I've observed some folks will come for one or two of the things and you don't see them anymore. And you'll ask them about it. Why why haven't you been? Well, you know, I, I really don't need that. But, you know, I know somebody that really does. I know somebody can really use that. But I don't. And what does that say? Uh-huh. That we are observing others and their need, but we really don't need it. I want to tell you something. I need everything I can get. But Jesus had this to say in Matthew seven, verses one through five. He said, Stop judging others and you will not be judged, for others will treat you as you treat them. Whatever measure you use in judging others, it will be measured to you, or, or it will be the measure of how you are judged. And why worry about the speck that is in a friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, let me help you get rid of the speck in your own eye, on your eye, when you can't get see past the log that's in your own eye? And then he says something very strong. He says, hypocrite, first get rid of the log from your own eye. Then perhaps you will see well enough to deal with the speck that is in your friend's eye. Now, we first got to deal with the issues in our own lives and relationships before we can effectively assist others in dealing with issues in their lives. And that's important. That's why we need the victory over the darkness. That's why we need the um, bait of Satan and other series that we have done because it helps us to deal with issues in our lives. I remember several years back I was at a conference, and we had a speaker by the name of R.T. Kendall. And, and R.T. wrote a book called Total Forgiveness. He's written a bunch more. He was—I mean—he's well known. He was uh, at one time he was the pastor of the uh, uh, the Winchester Cathedral or one of the cathedrals there in London, in England. And he—he uh, he, uh, anyway, he wrote this book called Total Forgiveness. And, and he had a wonderful message. And I heard him at a conference, and I thought, you know, that that was really good. But I I can't think of a soul that that I've got bitterness or anger or anything else against. I've forgiven everyone. I love everybody. And I thought, you know, that's good. I'm glad somebody here got something out of that. But I was was leaving that day. The Holy Spirit just quickened me. And R.T. said something that, that stood out in his message that morning. He said that if we are constantly bringing up what someone else has done to us that caused offense in our lives is a sure indicator that we haven't truly forgiven. And I was constantly talking about my father. And I thought I had forgiven my father for all the things that he had done to me growing up when I really hadn't. Because I was constantly bringing it up, using it as illustrations and stuff like that, talking about it. You know, somebody else would start talking about something that somebody did to them. I'd bring up my dad. And the Holy Spirit just really, really, really convicted me. It was shortly after that that I went to my father and I asked him to bless me. But like my brother did, you know, I had to first of all clear the air and ask him to forgive me for all the things that I had done. And my father asked me to forgive him for all the things that he had done. So that there truly was total forgiveness. There was no more animosity. There was no more feeling of like there was a barrier, there was a wall that stood between us, and you really couldn't get as close to that individual as you wanted to. Now there was a genuine love that developed the both of us when we were in each other's presence. And the memory of my father now is is not all the things that happened before either one of us knew Jesus. The memory of my dad is is the wonderful time that we were able to spend together as men of God. That's amazing because total forgiveness involved that. But you see what I'm talking about. You know, I would try to help other people deal with their unforgiveness and their bitterness, and I hadn't even dealt with my own. How hypocritical is that? And that's exactly what Jesus was saying right here. He says, how can you, you know, see to get the speck out of your brother's eye when you can't get past the log that's in your own eye? I'm preaching right now. It's awfully quiet in here. Jesus also said this in Matthew 5, 21. He says, You have heard that it was said to people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Rakai, You know what rakah means? It means worthless or empty one. One of no account. You know that no account guy. He's just worthless. He's not worth the the powder and lead it would take to shoot him. Anybody ever said that? And we judge others. We judge those that Jesus died for. We look at their life and we devalue their life. We say they're not worthy of our time and of our effort but in fact they are because Jesus never gives up on anybody. He never gave up on me and I was one of the worst of the worst, but Jesus he loved me and he came after me, he pursued me with a passion. And he's doing the same of those individuals that we devalue and we look at them and we say, "Raka, you empty one, you worthless one." Don't judge. But, if anyone says, Raka, worthless, is answerable to the Sanhedrin, but anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, forget about having something against your brother. But if you realize that something, someone has got something against you, your responsibility, Jesus says, is to leave your gift there in front of the altar. And what does it say? First, everybody say first. Priority. Go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and bring your gift. I want to encourage you, folks, if you remember, if you know of someone who has taken offense against you that has something outstanding against you, that you know about it. Your responsibility is to go to that person. Don't put it off. Prioritize it. Go to that individual. If you know that they have something against you, go to them and ask them if there's anything you can do to make it right. Wow, that's heavy, isn't it? But that's what the Bible says right there, right? Did I read that wrong? Wow. Wow. First, go and be reconciled to your brother, and then come and bring your gift. Reconciliation with an offended brother is more important to God than the gifts you bring to him. Your ministry cannot be effective as long as there are unresolved issues that you're aware of. The Holy Spirit will not let you have peace in your heart until you have exhausted every means of making things right. And you cannot be totally right with God if you're not totally right with your brothers and sisters. That's the truth. I didn't write it, folks. I'm just reading it, okay? That's what Jesus said. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians 4.30, it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, what did Jesus forgive us of? Everything. I, I remember when I came to the Lord that, you know, I, I had read a track and it said, "In order to be saved, you got to believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, confess with your mouth that." Uh, you know, we, and in other words, I thought we had to confess our sins. And so it took me so long to get saved because I went into the bathroom, and for two or three hours, I cleaned out every closet in my life I could think of. I mean, I was confessing everything. It was good. I mean, it's like I was sitting in front of a warden. I did this and I did that. I did this and I did that. And, and don't forget about that. I mean, it took me a long time. And, and then I had to keep going back in there because I kept forgetting stuff. But, you know, the thing of it is that he says that in First uh, in 1 John that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Boy, when I found that verse of Scripture, that was a home run. That was huge because it meant all of my sin was dealt with. It was all forgiven, and I love that. But that's what Jesus forgave us of, everything. He holds nothing to our account. And forgiveness is that. It it is holding nothing against. It's it's absolving all remembrance of the sin. There's no record. Keep no record. God doesn't keep record of our sins. I'm glad of that. So when I talk to him about those sins now, he says, what are you talking about? And another way that we can be sure that we're walking in right attitude toward others is to do this one particular first thing. Now, yesterday, as I was coming across Fisher Street, and I was thinking about what was going on just up the block there, you know, it was almost like this (sighs) attitude of indignation. I mean, literally, folks, I'm going to be honest with you. I felt like praying. I saw a good storm cloud gathering. I'm like, Lord, just let it rain right there. And just wash this stuff away. But then the Holy Spirit checked me, and I remembered this verse of Scripture out of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And I want you to read it with me. We're going to put it up here on the screen. It says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people as you make your request. Plead for God's mercy upon them and give thanks. Pray this way for kings and all others who are in authority so that we can live in peace and quietness, in godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior, for He wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Boy, the Holy Spirit brought that that scripture to my remembrance and in my prayer changed. From God, send some rain down on them. Let a bolt of lightning come down on Fisher Street. To Lord, have mercy. Have mercy. Father, forgive them. They don't understand. They're blind, confused, lost. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. We all do. And we're no different. Absolutely no different from those folks. They're no different than we are. We all need God's mercy. Paul told Titus in Titus chapter 2, he says that we're not saved by works of righteousness, but by his mercy. His mercy alone, he has saved us. What is mercy? Y'all know what it is. It's when you've done something, you've been caught, you know you deserve a whipping, but you don't get it. You get forgiveness and you get love. You get grace. That's what we get. That's what mercy is. Give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. Thank God that his mercy endures forever. His anger is for a moment, but his mercy endures generation after generation. And it's only because God's mercy that he hasn't closed the books and said, Come on, son, go get them. It's only because of his mercy that he's willing to extend time so that others could come to repentance, as it says in 2 Peter chapter 3, because he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So that's what you and I have got to pray for, that God's mercy would be extended to, to all men, that they would understand that the eyes of their understanding would be open so that they can understand the love and the grace of God toward them. I was talking with Martin yesterday morning at at McDonald's, and I was talking about my own experience when I came to Jesus. The thing that brought me to the Lord wasn't the aspect of God's judgment, but it was the fact of his love toward me. It was the thing that drew me to him because everybody else that I had tried to connect and have a love relationship with, it failed. But his love never fails. His love endures forever, and he showed his love toward me by Christ dying on the cross. That is what brought me to Jesus. How much more could he show his love for me than that? There's no way. There's no way. And I knew that Jesus loved me above everything else. And God loved me because he was willing for his son to die in my place, though I deserved it and he didn't. He took my place. That's love. That's what drew me to the cross. That's the mercy of God. That's what people need to hear. That's what they need to know is that Jesus loves us regardless of our sin. He loves us exactly where we are, but he is calling us to repentance. He's calling us to come to him because we cannot really truly experience his love if we continue in our rebellion toward him. It's only when we acknowledge his love and surrender to it that we truly begin to understand and experience it. So, there's some things that we have got to do. I've got four things that are first. Number one, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Number two, first, there's got to be a willingness to serve God by serving others. Number three, We have to have a right relationship with others and walking in forgiveness and humility. Before we come and we try to please God by offering gifts and offering everything else, he's all about relationships. Number four, putting God first by seeking him in prayer for others, especially those in leadership over us, and by praying for God's mercy upon sinners while we realize that it's God's will that all men be saved. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Last night, as I lay in bed, I, I was thinking about this message this morning. I was thinking about the gravity of the situation and where we are in our world today, knowing that time is short and that the days are evil. And they're not going to get any better, folks. Newsflash. I don't care who's elected to office. It's not going to get any better. Why do I say that? Are Are you saying that I'm a pessimist? No. I'm a realist because according to God's prophetic timetable, we are in the last days. If you understand Scripture at all, if you understand what the Word of God says at all, then you have to understand that we are in the final hours of this age. The coming of the Son of Man is very close. To go read Matthew 24, if you read Mark 13, if you read first uh, uh, Timothy, uh, or Second Timothy chapter three. If you read Daniel, if you read Ezekiel, if you read any of these books and understand with an open heart and mind toward God and and asking God to give you revelation of what's being said. If you read the book of Revelation, then you will see that we are living in the last days and we've got to put things in priority. We have to prioritize our life and realize that we cannot be asleep. We've got to be sober-minded. We've got to be vigilant. Because the Son of Man is coming. And and if you read 1 Thessalonians, it tells us to be alert, to be ready. Because. The enemy is at work in our world today. We were talking about that coming down the elevator this morning about how deluded the church is. And the gospel that's being preached today is a watered-down uh, message that is palatable to people so that all men are included in it. But we're not speaking the truth. We're not addressing the situations that need to be addressed because we're afraid of offending someone. God helped that we should never enter into that, but that God would allow us To be strong, to be bold, and not be afraid to speak the truth because it's the truth that's going to set men free. People need to hear. and We're living in that day when we've got to pray. We have to make it a priority in our lives. First of all, pray. Pray. The devil doesn't care how busy you are. He likes it when we're busy because when we are busy, then we play right into his hands. If we're busy with the wrong things that are not productive and not fruitful for the kingdom of God. But if we're prayerful, if we seek God's will first, and then we carry out his will in our daily lives, then God can use us. We produce fruit. We're being what he wants us to be. We're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, what is righteousness? It's being right. With God. How we write with God? By doing those things that are pleasing to Him. That's how. And so every day, every moment of our lives, we have to live our lives that way. And it begins first thing in the morning. How many hours a day do we have? 24. How much of that is given to God? It should be 24. Every moment, every day, we order our lives according to the will of God. There are things that God knows that we have need of. He knows we have to carry out our daily lives. The Bible says that if we don't work, we don't eat. That a man that doesn't provide for his own is worse than an infidel is departed from the faith. So we're required to do those things. We can't just sit around and say, Lord, feed me like you do the birds. You know? I guess you can go around and peck around the yard if you want to. Or you can wear feathers. <laughs> But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Prioritizing our lives. I want to encourage you to do something, folks. This is an exercise for you, a spiritual exercise. It may not sound very spiritual, but it truly is. I want you to think about the top ten things you do in a day. What are the things that you give the most time during the day? The top ten things. Then I want you to look at them and I want you to prioritize Of these top ten things that you do during the day, how much of those things are really involved in Kingdom Matters? The top ten things that you do. You'd be surprised. You know, for some of us, we think that we're effectively seeking first the Kingdom of God when we may be spending more time in front of the television than we're actually spending in Kingdom Matters. Or we may be spending more time at the gym Or we may be spending more time in our garden. Or we may be spending more time whatever. I don't know. But what are the top ten things that you do during the week? How much of that do you give toward that? And how much time are you truly giving toward the things of God and the things of the kingdom? And when we begin to prioritize our lives according to kingdom matters, then we will see the blessings of God beginning to flow in our lives and fruitfulness beginning to abound in our lives when we do those things that are meet for the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? I want, to give you, I want to challenge you to do that. I would be curious to hear some testimonies of what God does when we begin to do those things and we begin to really prioritize our lives according to the kingdom of God. Okay, how many are with me on that? i want to hold you to this. I'm going to hold you accountable to it. I want to ask you to stand up in church to do it, but I may come up to you and say, have you done your list yet? I might even ask to see it. I don't know. Wow, that'd be bold, bold, wouldn't it? No, I'm going to trust you and God with this one. Make that list, evaluate it, and see where you are. It'll do us all good to do that, right? Next Sunday is is Communion Sunday, and when we come and we have communion, Paul said that there are certain things that we do in our lives that, because of them, many have fallen asleep, many are sick. And he tells us then to look at ourselves, to judge ourselves so that we won't be judged. And when we come and we have communion with God, it's always a time of introspection. We're always looking inside of ourselves, making sure we're right with God before we observe the body and the blood of Jesus. It would be a good time for us to take that list and hold it before God and say, Lord, I want to order my life after you. I want to do your will. I want to be like the Son of God who came and says, I came to do your will, Father. Not my will, but yours be done. That's what I want to do. That's kingdom living. And when we live that way, God can use us. We produce fruit for the kingdom of God. How many know who Billy Graham is? How many would say he's probably been pretty fruitful in his life? Yeah, I would say so. I admire the man so much. And, you know, as far as I know, he don't even speak in tongues. But he's done so much for God because he prioritizes his life. And he has said this, the one thing that he does, the first thing that he does in his life is he practices the presence of God. In other words, he realizes that God is always with him, that the eye of the Lord is always upon every activity that he does, everything he does. He's a man of integrity. He holds himself accountable to God. And because of that, God has blessed his life, The man's nearly 100 years old and still preaching the gospel. I love it, man. I love it. And the fruit that he has borne over his life has touched millions of lives and spoken to presidents and kings. Man, how much more could you ask but how fruitful? And I would love to be there. I'd love to be a witness on the day of judgment just to see the crowns that are laid up for Billy Graham when he stands before the Lord. Just to see the rewards that God lays upon that man because of his faithfulness and his fruitfulness to God. I'd just love to see it, wouldn't you? I'd also love to see my mother's. She'd probably get just as much because of her faithfulness to God and her commitment to Him. The priority of loving God first and loving people like she loved Jesus. She always exemplified that. That's what I want in my life. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, prioritize. I want you to stand with me today. I want to pray for you because I know this is a hard message. It's a hard one to receive. But if we do and we put into practice these principles that I've laid out before you today, it's going to cause change in our life to happen. And that really is what we're after, right? We want to be fruitful in the kingdom of God. How many want to be fruitful? You know, when you stand before the Lord, you want to hear him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. How many want to stand before the Lord and hear him and say, well? I want to hear, well done. And, and all of us want to hear that. But, you know, there have to be some changes made in our lives. There have to be some adjustments made. And we've got to learn to prioritize and put things first. And if you're about wanting to prioritize your life and you want to get it in line with the, with the principles of God and with his word, would you just hold your right hand up toward God? Would you do that? Now, pray with me. Father in heaven.